2: On News Radio six eighty WPTF,
1: and I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner,
2: and I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner, and we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, um, I I uh, have just been enjoying all these interesting articles, and so many of our clients that have been uh, calling as well as uh, many individuals that have questions about their personal situation. And one of them, one of the articles I saw, had to do with uh, it being best to learn to save early in life.
1: You know, I am so happy to hear that, Linda, because for many, many years now, probably 25 years, we have been talking on this radio station, on this radio program, about the Problem which we call financial illiteracy. Financial illiteracy is a disease, you might say, an epidemic, you might say, that has swept the United States and it begins. Very, very early, so that people graduate college, they have no idea how to read their paycheck, they have no idea about the difference between a stock and a bond, a mutual fund, they don't know what an ETF is, they don't know anything about anything, and yet their financial future is the very thing that is at risk. And what we're seeing now is that studies are showing that young people who graduate in states that require personal finance education are better off with money than adults. So the question is at last being addressed. Not at all significantly, but it is being addressed by certain states. Most states still do not require classes and courses in personal finance.
2: Only 22 states across the country require students to take an economics class before they can graduate from high school.
1: Well, the states that are requiring schools to teach personal finance slightly increased last year. They did get up to 17, so 17 states now are requiring that a course be offered. But only six states even now are testing students on that knowledge. You know, Doug,
2: one report even released uh, recently released by the Federal Reserve found that young people that are in these states... That mandated uh, personal finance te- teaching had higher average scores by the time that they were twenty-two.
1: Yeah, and that's that is a it's sort of like a uh, a testimony that it works. It if underscores. If you start teaching, that's right. If you start teaching young children, one of the ways that they started teaching in elementary school, third graders with jelly beans. But you can teach these principles very very early, and Georgia is a state that actually did it. They actually did it. The state of Georgia began requiring schools to teach personal finance. They have a year-long course, which was introduced in 2006. It covers microeconomics, macroeconomics, a personal finance. Students take a simulated stock market game that they play. They're taught about savings, insurance, and credit. So, It's wonderful to think that at least a little bit is happening across the country, but we've got a long ways to go. And quite frankly, the certified financial planner is the one who is most qualified to teach these principles. Call me,
3: Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: Many of our clients recently have asked us if we would be willing to teach their children, and they have been asking if we will set up appointments where they send their their child or their children into our office and we teach them the basic principles that their parents and grandparents have been learning.
2: I think it's wonderful, and I think the, the need is definitely out there. And it is uh, refreshing to see that there are uh, states that are responding to this need by providing uh, educational resources for our children at a younger age and also for our young people as they enter into college, teaching them how to uh, balance their checkbook and save their money for their pizzas and their movies, etc.
1: It's happening. It's definitely happening. There is an awakening across the country. I know that you went to visit a new client of ours the other day. Who I think were they barely They're not even married yet, are they? That is true. Were they are they in their twenties? Uh, yes,
2: indeed. And, and it, they- you know, it underscores the need that uh, it's never too early to start learning about money issues and uh, financial planning in general, as folks are, you know, as young people are preparing to get married. Um, finishing college, preparing for a career. If you'd like further information, call us at 919
3: 872 7000 or go to our website,
2: dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com. Well, Doug, there is another um, portion of the, you know, of all of our listeners that we know it's best for women. To build an estate.
3: This is Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919 872 7000. Call me at 919 872 7000.
1: The question of women is becoming more and more a focus in the financial planning world for a number of reasons and for a lot of surveys that have been coming out. There's a growing body of research that is now showing that women in particular lack the confidence to plan for their old age. One study I saw said that 60% of women worry about having enough savings to last through retirement.
2: You know, Doug, it, it is true. And that anxiety is prevalent among women that are 19 to 50. And, of course, retirement planning is important for everyone. But it's especially important for women because they tend to live longer than men and they earn less in some cases, but they need more.
1: Yeah, and that is the, the results that are coming back from these studies are showing exactly that. But now the good news is that young women have time on their side. Time is the magic that gives the confidence that you are ready for what life throws down in front of you. So the first thing that women need to do is to start early. I agree. Start early. A lot of people get wrapped up in picking the right investments, etc. But what's really important is first develop an overall picture of what's going to happen. Here you are at age 30, and here's where you want to end up at age 65.
2: And another issue to remember is don't forget about Social Security benefits. You need to see how big your Social Security check might be in retirement And the earlier that you start to save, the easier it will be to build the nest egg that you need.
1: So for women, I'm saying, number one, start early. And number two, maximize every dollar. In other words, participate in your retirement plan at work, especially if there's a match. Make sure that you're contributing the uh, amount to get the company match. And then lastly, of course, Learn. Learn as you go. Once you're saving regularly, you've got an automatic plan set up by participating in your 401k plan and participating in what we call a pay-yourself-first savings plan regularly, then you can start to fine-tune the plan. And the most important thing is don't feel that you don't need a certified financial planner. you do. You definitely need one and there's no too early to, to, to come in. We want you to come into our offices and get what you deserve. True financial education.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis's Lewis family on News Radio six eighty WPTF. And if you'd like to schedule an appointment at Lewis Financial Management, call us at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine. USA 7000, leave your name, your number, we'd love to speak with you about your financial planning issues, whether it's saving, your retirement plan, what about college funding, and definitely uh, estate planning and other issues that you may be concerned about in your personal life. Doug, there also was uh, an interesting report on elder care costs that are climbing, that are very
1: steep. That hit the news within the last few days. It shocked a lot of people. Of course, we've just finished mentioning the matter of children needing financial education. Yes, indeed. And then number two, women starting early with financial education. Well, this report had to do with another aspect on the other end, and this is elder care. Medicare will only cover short visits for recovery after a surgery, but not long-term stays in a nursing home.
2: And I, I know about this. I used to work in a nursing home as a speech therapist, but often enough senior citizens wind up spending spending down their savings until they hit the last twelve thousand and at that point they can turn to Medicaid and then which is the government's health insurance for the poor to help cover the bill.
1: Yeah. The the problem of course is there wasn't planning. And so one of the crucial things that we do in our firm as a total financial planning firm we cover this matter of are you prepared are you prepared for nursing home will you go ahead and be able to cover your own expenses if and when it happens to you do you need long-term nursing care insurance is there a way for you to go ahead and prepare for this but total financial planning, which is what we practice at Lewis Financial Management and have been practicing since 1983, we make sure that we cover every one of your bases. So it is a crucial issue that needs to be addressed.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us at Lewis Financial Management and we'll be happy to schedule an appointment to meet with you to speak about your financial planning issues to answer questions that revolve around any financial planning issue
1: in your world. Well, it's an interesting issue, Linda, right now, that a lot of people are overlooking giant threats to their finances. Now, before I touch on this matter, I think we have a call coming in from Rodney. Let's see what Rodney's issue is today. Rodney, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Linda Lewis. How can we help you this evening?
4: Yes, Doug. Just interested in your opinion of a irrevocable trust for protection of assets uh, in case of a catastrophic medical event where um, Medicaid may be uh, useful uh, later on.
1: Yeah, uh, I recently had a client, Rodney, that brought to me the same question in a little bit different flavor. He wanted to know what did I know about medical bankruptcy. And uh, there, and I did a little research to see where is he getting this term from. And I realized that there are people out there that are using this term. So, of course, I, uh, I want to focus on the fact of protection. Protection is only going to be in a certain number of ways. If you set up a trust which is irrevocable, then you're putting money into this trust, or you may be putting other assets into this trust. You're saying that you've given it away. So now, when you do a trust, you have two participants after you give it away, the income beneficiary and the remainder beneficiary, who gets it at the end of the trust. So in your particular question, what kind of trust are you thinking about? Who's going to get what's in the trust at the end of the trust period?
4: Are you speaking of my death, or
1: um... that's usually when the irrevocable trust ends? You you don't have to. You can set it up for twenty years, for ten years. A trust can be written any way you want. You're simply saying that I reverse the, I reserve, I do not reserve the right to change it. It's irrevocable. Right. So now, if you set up an irrevocable trust and you give, let's say, uh, half million dollars into this irrevocable trust. You have to say, well, okay, who does the trustee pay the income to? What kind of thought do you have there?
4: Well, the any income of the trust would just stay in the trust.
1: Uh, well, you can't do that. If it's a, a trust has to have some provisions about what happens to the income. It's got to go somewhere. You mean at
4: the end of the trust?
1: No, no, right now, during the trust period. This
3: is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation call me at 919-872-7000
1: so if you say i, I all the income that is going to be in this trust is it's got to go somewhere it's got to be paid out
4: okay it can't just be added to the trust as well, part of the trust
1: well it's going to well it it can get back in there but first it's got to come out to somebody and if you say it comes out to you then It is going to be accessible by lawsuit. Let me ask you a question,
2: Rodney. Do you have a trust set up?
4: I'm in process.
1: Okay. You're
2: in the process of setting up an irrevocable trust or a revocable trust? Irrevocable. Why do you want to set up an irrevocable trust?
4: Um, So that uh, assets that I have, um, that I've put away for retirement, um, are not going to be seen by Medicare. To protect, because uh, I know we're going to have a, a catastrophic expense in the future.
0: Okay. Well,
1: first of all, let me tell you that won't work. Whoever told you it will work, that will not work. Okay. And I don't uh, so. And I don't think you mean Medicare. You mean Medicaid. Medicaid. Correct, right. Yes. All right. So no. If you are putting money into this trust for your retirement, and it's irrevoc if it's if it's irrevocable, the fact that you're going to go ahead and get it, and you reserve the right to get it then you haven't given it away.
4: Well, no, it's not for my retirement. It's, it's so that... Um,
1: is it, it going to that. go to your wife after you die?
4: No, um, no. It, it'll, it'll, it, it will remain as a trust and will probably di- be distributed at some point in time um, uh, by the, um, uh, the one who, who, is, who is working the trust for me.
1: That's the trustee. No, trustee, yeah. Yeah, no. You, this will not work. And Medicaid looks very carefully at people who try to, what they consider, cheat. Right. And uh, we have been through a number of years of what's called Medicaid trust. Some attorneys later on got, uh, got in serious trouble putting trust in place, which they called Medicaid trust, uh, right now, there's a five-year look back if you give something away. But the point is, Medicaid is a provision for the poor. That's what it is. It's insurance for the poor. So people putting things into a uh, a trust to say that if they go to a nursing home, they don't have any money to pay, they're poor, and Medicaid will pay for it, that one has been shot down, and that's very uh, if you, by the way, jot down my office number nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. I've done a lot of work in this area.
2: Rodney, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. H- how much are we? Are you hoping to protect? How much have you got in retirement?
4: We'll probably um, at the end. We'll have probably a quarter of a million.
2: Okay. And do you have any other real estate?
4: Um, yes. Uh, so do you? Just a house.
2: Just your home. Uh huh. And what do you think the value of the home is roughly?
4: Um, probably uh, 170.
2: And is there a mortgage still on that? No. Okay, so it's owned outright. And then do you and then do you have any personal investments as well as your retirement? No. So, we're talking about maybe uh
1: Oh, how old are you, Rodney? About. Uh late 50s. All right.
2: About four hundred
1: thousand yeah. dollars of investment, and, and he's got—he's right there in that target where he needs to be concerned. Yes, the question is: Can you protect yourself for nursing home costs? That's the first thing. I don't think you're talking about liability suits from lawsuits, are you? No, no. Okay, that was my my the first comments. Where a client wanted to know about that. Okay, and there is a way to use an irrevocable trust in that case. But here, there was another issue that you're talking about. The only two ways that you can approach this issue is, number one, to price nursing care insurance. That's called long-term care insurance.
4: Right, I'm familiar with that.
1: And the long-term care insurance industry is fraught with all kinds of problems. The premiums have gone up drastically. They have cut back on uh, the provisions they used to offer and so forth. But if we can't go ahead and afford long-term care insurance... Then we have to figure a way to go ahead and approach it from self-insurance to be able to self-insure. It's so transferring al- the risk.
4: If you're already um, retired due to disability, um, can you purchase, you probably can't purchase long-term care insurance.
1: I don't want to say can't because I would ha- do a search. When I, when I look for a client, I do a search across the entire industry and see all of the, uh, of the carriers. Uh, and of course, there'd be certain medical conditions that would be asked, and everything. But do call my office. I would love to meet with you and approach it more more personally. So I don't divulge anything on the air about your own personal situation, right. obviously. Uh, but if you write, if you call my office 919-872-7000, schedule an appointment to meet with me or meet with my daughter Deborah. One of the two of us. We've been doing a lot of these analyses recently, and we have been doing searches. And I think you're wise to ask the question, but a trust will not work. That I can tell you.
2: And also, it'd be good for you just to write down any specific questions about your own personal situation that you would like to address, you know, to get answers to. And if you have any questions about the trust that you're also... um,
1: Oh, I'd like to see the trust. Don't finish the trust, but bring me the draft documents ahead of time.
4: Sure. Okay,
2: all right. I do thank you very much. All right, thank you for calling. Have a wonderful week, Rodney. Bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. We'll be happy to address your financial planning issues. That number to call in Raleigh is 919 7000 That's 919 USA 7000. And if you need a second opinion about your financial uh, portfolio or your questions, like our previous caller Rodney, call us. During the week, we'd be happy to schedule an appointment with you.
1: You know, Linda, while investors are focusing on modest drags on their annual investment returns, like fees and so forth, it has occurred to me that they could be overlooking big gaps in their financial plan that could quickly destroy the savings that they've accumulated. And... I really think that this is something that needs to be addressed, especially in light of what Rodney just brought up in in, in our last caller. You see, first of all, the two big things that are causing this is, first of all, insurance. It's really hard to know right now how many families are underinsured, but the available statistics are suggesting that the problem is very, very widespread. There is an organization called LIMRA. Uh, which is involved with the insurance industry, they say that American adults have an average of only $167,000 in life insurance coverage. Well, that's a big number. You know, I mean, that's not going to do anything. You imagine if someone dies and that's all the, the, that's left for their family to live on $167,000, that's a big gap. The second big issue, I think, is that. 35% of individual retirement account owners, according to one study, have more than 90% in stocks and those in their 401k plans that include company stock have more than 80% of their money in their employer's shares. This is an extremely risky scenario. So we have these two giant risks that could smash the family's finances, underinsured and way too risky on investments. So the question then comes up, well, what's the what's the blame? Where, how is this happening? Well, folks misjudge the risk. Right,
2: right. I mean, it, it, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, to be... Well, it's obvious that uh, folks haven't met with a certified financial planner. Isn't that true? For instance, if you're in your 20s or your 30s and you have young children life insurance might seem unnecessary because the chances that you'll die are slim right. but if you're young you should focus less on the odds of an early death and more on the consequences how you know and you said this earlier how would your family cope financially if you and your income
1: were gone that's right in other words young people don't think about the the horror scenario of death and not being covered by insurance But on the other hand, it can wipe out an entire family's uh, security. So that's the first thing, The, the, the misjudging of the risk. I'm glad that Rodney is not misjudging the risk. But so many are misjudging the risk of what about the disaster if I die.
3: This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to speak about your situation and to set up an appointment. 919-872-7000.
1: Well, Dean, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? I've got a couple
5: of questions. What kind of cost are you looking at for, for financial services such as
1: yours? Well, I never go ahead and mention advisory fees on the air because they differ according to clients. We charge at our practice. We charge by the hour. Some planners go ahead and give a flat annual fee. We do offer that to certain clients. Other planners go ahead and charge Any number of types of either by the hour or by the quarter, by the month, by the year, by the plan, and so forth. But if you'll call the office during the week, Linda will go ahead and she can discuss that with you a little more. My job tonight is to really to sort of educate you as to what's out there and how a planner functions. Okay, good.
5: Good. The other question I had is about retirement. I'm sort of remiss in getting any retirement plan started. But I uh, recently uh, talked to an insurance agent who suggested that I, or suggested a plan for me. And, and when he brought forth the plan, it essentially was a whole life policy. Uh, and uh, investing a certain amount in that each month and it building up over a period of time. Uh, and I really was trying to find out if there was, you know, one, is that, is that a sound way to go about it? I mean, obviously, I guess I can use the additional coverage,
1: but I feel like I have enough life insurance coverage. Life insurance is an arrangement between you and an insurance company that you will pay a small amount of money called a premium, as you and I know, and that at the time that you die, the insurance company will pay your beneficiary a whole bunch of money. And if you go ahead and buy a $100,000 policy or a $500,000 policy and you go ahead and make the first monthly premium of maybe it's only $500 and you die the next month, then your wife won because she got a half million dollars and you only cost her five hundred dollars. Okay, that's the gamble and that's called that's called risk management. That's exactly what it is legally, it's risk management. Interestingly enough, it is against the law in North Carolina, according to the insurance commissioners' regulations, to use the term investment with regard to insurance.
5: One of the things he was saying was that if one it was would, would accumulate money would accumulate tax-free.
1: When you think about what's accumulating in your insurance policy, what you're doing is you're paying more money than the real cost of that insurance, and it's going into an accumulation account that is cash value. But before it gets into that cash value account, first come the commissions that go out, then come the uh, administrative cost of running the insurance company and so forth. So that cash value, yes, you are able to borrow out your own cash value, and yes, It does accumulate tax-free, but my goodness, if, if your goal is to accumulate money, do it over in a mutual fund or an investment, because the day you start to take money out of that insurance policy, out of that cash value account, you're basically taking money from your future widow. You see what I mean? You're borrowing from the death benefit, and if you borrow out long enough, you'll collapse the insurance policy. So don't confuse the two. Insurance is not a retirement vehicle. It's not an investment
5: essentially, if I've got enough money to invest an additional sum of money each month, it would be better off, even if it's not a tax Or maybe
1: there's other way to do it tax-free. Absolutely. First, we do need to look at the risk coverage necessary and buy an inexpensive 20-year level term policy if we need to go ahead and have a certain amount to cover. But the amount of money for retirement, you need to put that money monthly into an investment program. But I just wanted everybody out there to understand that insurance is for death protection, and investments are investments, and we shouldn't confuse those two.
2: And if you have further questions, call the office in Raleigh at 919 That's 919-USA-7000. And we appreciate your calling. And visit our website uh, at www.dougandlinda.com.
1: Now, the second mistake is the exact opposite. It's overconfidence you know, we saw this during stock market boom, when investors made lots of money themselves, they heard about others who were getting rich, and they grew increasingly confident. So here we have confidence. Well, whether it's living without critical insurance coverage, or whether it's making big investment bets, you can go years without suffering the consequences. But you know, Doug,
2: uh, in one moment, all it takes is a bad auto accident or maybe a big market downturn, and then your financial progress might be set back 10 or 20 years.
1: So what kind of advice do you have about this? Well, yeah, my advice is spend more time thinking about life's nightmare scenarios. What would it mean financially for your family if you died tomorrow, if you lost your job, if you became gravely ill, if you suffered a long-term disability, if you got sued? Or if the stock market and the real estate markets tumbled 50%. And that's exactly why you need a certified financial planner. Every one of these disaster scenarios, we make sure that we cover with you in our offices. When you meet with us, we want you to be fully confident that you are protected in all scenarios. We are, uh, we are practicing what we're trained to do as certified financial planners. So call us at the office to schedule an appointment, 919 872 7000, that's USA 7000.
2: And visit our website at dougandlinda.com. And if you do schedule an appointment, we, uh, we will, uh, once you schedule an appointment and you come in, we are offering three different books. One is The Middle Class Millionaire. Another book is The Wealthy Barber, and the third book is Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Well, Doug, let's take a caller now.
1: Well, Dean, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? I've got a couple of questions. What kind of
5: cost are you looking at for for financial services such as
1: yours? Well, I never go ahead and mention advisory fees on the air because they differ according to clients. We charge at our practice. We charge by the hour. Some planners go ahead and give a flat annual fee. We do offer that to certain clients. Other planners go ahead and charge any number of types of either by the hour or by the quarter, by the month, by the year, by the plan, and so forth. But if you'll call the office during the week, Linda will go ahead and she can discuss that with you a little more. My job tonight is to really to sort of educate you as to what's out there and how a planner functions.
5: Okay, good. The other question I had is about re- retirement. I'm sort of remiss in getting any retirement plan started, but I uh, recently uh, talked to an insurance agent who suggested that I
1: Life insurance is an arrangement between you and an insurance company that you will pay a small amount of money called a premium, as you and I know, and that at the time that you die, the insurance company will pay your beneficiary a whole bunch of money. And if you go ahead and buy a $100,000 policy or a $500,000 policy and you go ahead and make the first monthly premium of maybe it's only $500 and you die the next month, then your wife won because she got a half million dollars and you only cost her $500. Okay, that's the gamble. And that's called that's called risk management. That's exactly what it is legally. It's risk management. Interestingly enough, it is against the law in North Carolina, according to the insurance commissioner's regulations, to use the term investment with regard to insurance.
5: One of the things he was saying was that if one, it was would accumulate the money would accumulate
1: tax-free. When you think about what's accumulating in your insurance policy, what you're doing is you're paying more money than the real cost of that insurance, and it's going into an accumulation account that is cash value. But before it gets into that cash value account, first come the commissions that go out, then come the uh, administrative cost of running the insurance company and so forth. So that cash value, yes, you are able to borrow out your own cash value, and yes, It does accumulate tax-free, but my goodness, if, if your goal is to accumulate money, do it over in a mutual fund or an investment, because the day you start to take money out of that insurance policy, out of that cash value account, you're basically taking money from your future widow. You see what I mean? You're borrowing from the death benefit, and if you borrow out long enough, you'll collapse the insurance policy. So don't confuse the two. Insurance is not a retirement vehicle. It's not an investment.
5: So essentially, if I've got enough money to invest an additional sum of money each month, it would be better off, even if it's
1: not a tax Or maybe there's other way to do it tax-free. Absolutely. First, we do need to look at the risk coverage necessary. And buy an inexpensive 20-year level term policy if we need to go in and have a certain amount to cover. But the amount of money for retirement, you need to put that money monthly into an investment program. But I just wanted everybody out there to understand that insurance is for death protection. And investments are investments, and we shouldn't confuse those two.
2: And if you have further questions, call the office in Raleigh at 919 That's 919-USA-7000. And we appreciate your calling. And visit our website uh, at www.dougandlinda.com. Well, Doug, um, you know, we've been talking about financial planning, and our last caller asked about... You know fees that uh, you would pay if you, you if you work with a financial planner, and uh, more recently in the media we've seen that there are financial planners, but there are robo advisors uh, How does the person go about finding a financial planner
1: yeah i of course it's it's very popular now in the financial presses especially in the last twelve months, this matter of robots are uh, bot planners. Do you want brains or bots or both? Bots meaning robots, (laughs) of course. All right. Well, I mean, let's just get the bots out of here. There's no such thing (laughs) as a robot that's going to give you any comfort whatsoever. All right. The traditional financial planner, the certified financial planner, uh, he or she offers a lot of hands-on service. Now, the arrangement that is offered in many cases is for people who have a certain amount of assets they need significant help uh, with not only accumulation their investments they also have other personal finance goals now what i am seeing in the press shocks me when i'm hearing that some of these so-called financial planners or financial advisors are charging as much as one to two percent of the assets that you have invested uh, I think that's grossly uh overpaying and getting services that are not at all what I think you should do, but there is a growing demand for people who want personal financial advisors, and one study I said that I saw said that by the year two thousand and twenty two the entire industry of financial advisors is going to grow by 27%. That's almost double any other profession. So the need is out there. This
3: is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well,
2: I would agree, Doug. And, you know, it's interesting that humans will be better at keeping people comfortable with what's going on when things get bad. And, uh Consumer emotions affect financial decision-making, but reassurance is definitely hard to get from a robot or a computer. So people do definitely like the human aspect. And, you know, Doug, there are some tough questions that need to be asked of an advisor,
1: aren't there? I, I think it's crucial that you should ask these questions. You should ask with regard to background and experience when you're interviewing who is going to be your financial advisor. You should ask, what is your educational background? What are your degrees? What are your areas of study? And are you a certified financial planner?
2: What are your credentials?
1: That's right. What about right. your
2: background? Do you have anything, any uh, liens or bankruptcies in your background?
1: That's crucial. You'll find that on different forms. You can go and find that by going to uh, uh, Broker Check. Broker or, Check. Mm
2: hmm. But the the second
1: question to find out other than background is how long have you been offering financial planning services? You really want someone who's been doing this for a number of years. The third question that I think you should ask is, do you have clients willing to speak with me about your services? I think that's crucial. Now, when we come to the matter of services, The question needs to be, does your financial planning service include recommendations for specific investments or investment products? And will you only recommend traditional investments like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or will you also be recommending alternatives which are popular now? Another question, do you take custody or will you have access to my assets? I think that's a danger. To watch out for, if someone's going to be taking custody of your assets, then maybe you don't want to give up that control. And then another question is, if you were to provide me ongoing investment advisory services, do you require discretionary trading authority over my investment accounts?
2: And, and this is a very important area, and you need to understand And, you know, to to many of our listeners, if you're out there working with a wealth management uh, advisory team, make sure that you're driving the car and not your advisor, right? That's
1: right, Linda, because once you've gotten clear on the background, the experience, the services, then you should also ask the questions about compensation. You want to ask, how is your firm compensated and how are you compensated and how is it calculated and then lastly, of course, you want to know, is there an agreement, a contract describing your compensation and the services that will be provided that I will receive in advance? And if you want to call my office during the week, I'll be happy to send you a list of these tough questions, which I think everyone should ask. That's your your right as a consumer.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. And thank you for joining us this evening. And if you'd like to schedule an appointment... Call us at Lewis Financial Management at 919 That's USA 7000. And once you schedule your appointment, we'll be happy to give you one of three books. The Middle Class Millionaire, Wealthy Barber, and the third book is Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth.
1: You know, Linda, talking about the matter of fees and how much people are paying or what they're paying for, there was an interesting article that I saw in the Wall Street Journal that actually said, do you know how much you're paying? You know, ask me how much I pay in investment management fees each month, and most people will say, I have no idea. And that's because many financial advisors deduct fees from clients' accounts each quarter, but the investors rarely pay an actual bill. So they're just deducted, no checks are written, no credit cards are charged. So it's all too easy for investors to ignore the fees altogether, even though by law they have to be disclosed. So in 2013, LIMRA, an organization that I mentioned earlier, they actually took a poll of 741 investors and half of them said they had no idea how much they were paying in fees.
2: And there was another study in, in, uh, last year by the Cerulli Associates. It's also a financial services research firm that showed that 25% of investors who use financial advisors aren't sure what they pay their advisor.
1: So that's that's really shameful if you think about it. Even when investors know their cost in percentage terms, let's say they know they're paying 1% a year for a fund, okay, for their investments. Well, rarely do they pay attention to the cost in dollar terms. Now, you know, if you think about that, if I own uh, a million dollars in mutual funds that charges a 1% a year and pay a financial advisor half percent a year, then I'm paying $15,000 a year for advice, I mean most investors spend maybe 5 minutes with their account statements and all they do is check their balances. I will tell you at Lewis Financial Management we make sure that you know the dollar amount of your fees. We send you a receipt every quarter when you when you when you pay your fee, you need to always know exactly how much you're paying and for what you are paying.
3: If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, Call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: And I believe we have another caller. Alan, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
6: Uh, My mother is 74, and she has a majority of her investments now in certificates of deposit at different banks. Right. Uh, She does have some tax-free bonds. And a few, what I would call, uh, mutual funds in utility. Right. What kind of investments should she be making now, considering her
1: age? She's 74? 74. 74. Uh, how much does she have in CDs? Probably 400000 400000 in CDs, and how much in her tax-free bonds? Uh,
6: probably in all of her other investments, around 200000 more.
1: Do you know what her living expenses are?
6: She lives well within her... Um, and, uh, with a little social security
1: she gets. What's your health like?
6: Uh, excellent.
1: She's a
2: widow, Alan. Uh, yes, she is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, assuming, you know, God forbid she died tomorrow, then this might be fine. However, uh, assuming she, if she's still in good health, then uh, she's really hurting her heirs. By the way, what about her home? Uh, it's paid for. How much is it worth?
6: Uh, probably eighty to a
1: hundred thousand. Well, one thing that jumps out right off the bat, knowing that she's a widow, if she's got four hundred in CDs and two hundred muni's and a hundred thousand, that's uh, seven hundred thousand. And uh, if there's going to be any growth, even if there's only about a three percent, you know, with, when you're talking about those muni's and, and utility funds and CDs, they're not real exciting. But even if that was the case with only three percent at fifteen years. She'd have over a million dollars. So uh, from the investment side, what I would do is I would have her in a diversified portfolio. I'd take the uh, four and two, the 600,000, and maybe break it into $50,000 unit sizes. So if you got uh, 600,000 and you divide it by your uh, $50,000 units, then she'd have 12 investment units, and I would spread it across 12 different mutual funds, quite frankly.
3: This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919-872-7000.
1: And in each of those cases, I would go according to the past track record of the managers. So really what we're designing here is a portfolio that's going to let the estate grow the best for her heirs. You see what I'm saying? I understand. The phone number at the office is 919-872-7000. But then, I would also do the estate plan simultaneously. And you could do that one of a couple ways, but one way that comes to mind would be using the Section 664 Trust. She has the very strong possibility of leaving an estate well over a million dollars if she lives a little while. And so, You could have all of this growth in the Section 664 trust with uh, yourself. And how many other heirs are there besides yourself? A total of four. Well, you could have four beneficiaries, income beneficiaries, from the trust so that the trust would then pay out for the lifetime of those four.
6: She's of the age that grew up during the Depression. Right. How do you get them to understand that the money in the CDs is a losing proposition to her just because of inflation? Well, And, and out of, into something maybe a little more risky, but still a very safe investment.
1: Well, it's not a matter of risky or safe. It's a matter of her living expenses being met. How much do you think she needs to live on? She's living on about 15000 a year. $15,000 divided by 600000 is 2%, 2.5%. Well, we could increase her income to 30,000 a year without having any real risk, in my opinion, of depleting principal, most senior citizens need to have education from an independent certified financial planner, someone who is impartial, not trying to sell them something, but someone who can educate, analyze, and decide what's best and help them understand what's best. Very often when they see that their estate is going to be paying a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes that really uh, starts to bother them so it's an educational process uh, if she's open for education then you should set up a meeting with a certified financial planner and let her uh, um, go through a session of education.
2: We find this is a typical situation
1: we we have a lot of cases like a that. a
2: lot of widows that you know their husbands accumulated you know over their lifetime or maybe they both were you know had income. And uh, or they inherited assets that have appreciated and um, they don't always need all the income. But you want to certainly, as Doug said, you want to make sure you're meeting her her need, but also you want to look to the future. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, but I think Alan's question is, how do you explain that to her? He understands it very well. And the answer is still uh, the, uh, you've got to get her in front of a planner usually the child cannot explain that to the mom and dad. Right. It's, That's it's, been our experience. The children that have brought them to us, usually uh, it's a very different environment then because the exactly. planner is able to speak directly, you know, with the parent.
2: So uh, if you'd like to call the office, Alan, our number in Raleigh is 919 That's USA 7000. And thank you so much for calling. All right, thank you. Take care now. Well, Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning?
1: A lot of people don't know about Morningstar, and a lot of people do know about Morningstar, but whether you know about Morningstar or not, they are a very reputable publication source, and there was an article there about portfolio sprawl. Now, portfolio sprawl is very interesting because personally, for every portfolio that I see that comes into my office, 90% of them have this sprawl they might have 50 or 60 or even 100 individual holdings. Now, of course, overdiversification isn't the worst sin that can happen. Having too many holdings is not going to wreak havoc like under-saving will or overpaying or performance chasing. But still, the investor with too many holdings may have trouble figuring out asset allocations or knowing when or how to rebalance. And that was the article on Portfolio Sprawl. Having too many stocks and, and too many funds can also compound the headaches for an investor's successors like a widow or widower or other loved ones who may have difficulty untangling the whole web.
2: So, you know, Doug, it's, it's no wonder that many investors hold multiple 401ks and multiple IRAs and rolling all of these orphan accounts into a single IRA can be a great way to clean up the mess.
1: That's right. Not only will you be able to populate your IRA with nearly anything you like, but you'll also be able to, to cut out all the administrative costs and the above-average fund fees that come along with some of the 401k plans. And it's very common after people have left one job or another to have an orphan 401k or a couple of them out there. Now, this portfolio sprawl uh, has different... Uh, uh, ways of looking at it, for example, holding assets in multiple silos, like a 401k, an IRA, and a taxable account, it's all but inevitable for most investors, but then you can multiply that problem by two if you're part of a married couple. So you've got an IRA, she's got an IRA, you've got a 401k, she's got a 401k, you've got a taxable account, she's got a taxable account, and so the problem gets more complicated But you still can reduce the number of holdings in your portfolio and deal with this matter of portfolio sprawl and ensure that each is best of breed by just thinking of the entire set of accounts as one unified whole. So often in my office, you know, Linda, we say, think of it as if it's one pair of pants with three pockets, but it's still one pair of pants. It's all y'all's portfolio for your future.
2: So... One thing not to do is don't focus exclusively on the trailing returns.
1: That's right. That's a big problem. By focusing disproportionately on investments with happy-looking trailing returns, especially over the past three years or five-year periods, investors can then inadvertently tilt their portfolios towards much higher risk. So I think the matter of portfolio sprawl was a good article. Morningstar did a good job on it, and I was very happy to see it
2: it is it is important that uh you know f- folks uh either get laid off or change jobs or get promoted or sometimes in some situations they're with the same company and all all of a sudden they're they're being uh not fired but uh they lose their job but then they're being rehired within the company you know they set up a different company and then they Are still rehired, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's always good to ask yourself, what are the questions I have as I'm going through this process? Because sometimes you can roll over your 401k into an IRA. And that's where working with a certified financial planner can be helpful to help you sor- sort out those questions, right, Doug?
3: Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: Many years ago, when I I was beginning my practice, I was invited to meet with Jonathan Clements, who has an article on a weekly basis in the Wall Street Journal, and he had an interesting article this week where he said that retirement, actually, you may need much less than you think in retirement. And so he went through the matter of the conventional wisdom. The point is that conventional wisdom is not a way to think about anything. He says in his article that conventional wisdom says that you need retirement income equal to 80% of your final salary. And then he goes on to say there's a decent chance that you could happily retire with far less. And then he cited a couple of surveys and interviewed different people who said they're living on much less than 80% of their income that they had before retirement. Well, as I was reading his article, I was thinking, Jonathan, you're right, but you haven't given the solution. The solution is that percentages and surveys don't help you get any comfort What you need is true need-based analysis from a certified financial planner, which is what we do in our office. Everything is need-based. We start with, what are your needs? What are your living expense needs today? What will your living expense needs be? We ask to go through the process, and then on the basis of this need, all the answers flow from there. We're not just looking at surveys. So, Jonathan, I think you did a good job pointing out the problem, but... The solution is, call Lewis Financial Management, and we will help
0: you solve the problem.